All right. So we're going to look at uh, dumb things that sound smart. They sound smart mostly because we want them to be true. That's mostly why. Um, so we've talked about the lie that faith fixes everything and uh, forgiving means forgetting. And then last week, Pastor Matt uh, talked about God has a blueprint for our life. And I wasn't in here last week, but uh, boy, you had some real comic relief going last week in that message. I was literally laughing out loud listening to that sermon. What got into you? I mean, the deflate gate was classic. Now, when you said that, I literally was laughing out loud. That was hilarious. And then he said, uh, which you guess, you know, it was funny to me because I was there when he was explaining the house with the dishwasher. And he said, if you don't, I mean, I literally wrote this quote down. He said, if you do this, your life is going to be like that kitchen in Alabama. And I was cracking up like, it was good. So we're going to look at Proverbs. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, after, you know, We've looked at a lot of Proverbs recently, so we're going to be looking at Proverbs 22. And when you think about the book of Proverbs, some of you, maybe you've read through the book of Proverbs because there's a chapter for each day of the month. It's just a, it's a, it's an amazing gift for us. But we have to understand what we're looking at and what we're reading. And Proverbs is it's instruction for us for, for everyday life. That's why... Uh, the writer of Proverbs says that wisdom calls to us in the street because that's where we need wisdom is when we're out in the streets. It's going to help us with, with everyday life. And so uh, as you got your handouts here, we'll get started. The message of the book of Proverbs essentially could be summed up this way. To live a life that honors God, we must have wisdom from God. There's no uh, possibility of living a life that honors God unless you receive wisdom from God. So the point is, is that what you have to understand about that statement is what's clear is that apart from receiving something that you were not born with, it's impossible to please God. Because what does the Bible say over and over and over about pleasing God? You can't please God unless you have faith He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, you weren't born with faith. Faith is something that God gives us. And so the book of Proverbs is not about information. It's not giving you information. It's not teaching you information about stuff. It's teaching you wisdom. And wisdom is only becomes wisdom. You can read something that's wise... And it's still information, even though it's wisdom. It doesn't become wisdom to you. It's not imparted to you until you obey that which you've read. Until you wisdom is utilizing what you know. That's what wisdom is. And so a proverb is literally, it's a literary device whereby a general truth is brought to bear on a specific situation. That's what it does. And so many times the book of Proverbs would be helpful in the application of uh, truths that are found elsewhere in the Bible. Because really uh, the book of Proverbs is unique in many ways uh, in the Scripture. And so um, what you find in the book of Proverbs as you're reading, I mean, my life has been so impacted by the book of Proverbs. And... Uh, Chapter 22, as much as any chapter in the book of Proverbs, I was realizing the last couple of days as I was preparing for tonight, uh, just over and over in chapter 22, I can recount these life-altering moments that in those life-altering moments, what was guiding me was a verse from chapter 22 of the book of Proverbs. And so uh, here we are. So tonight we're going to look at the fourth uh, urban myth or spiritual urban myth, and that is that a godly home guarantees godly kids. And the thing about all of these urban myths are is that, again, they sound good. And the reason they sound good is because 
in many ways, we want them to be good, at least um, initially. But if you just uh, think it forward and play the principle out, it'll become apparent pretty quickly that uh, that's simply not the case. Uh, it can't be the case. It doesn't work logically. It's not, it's not reasonable. So the scripture that we all uh, get tangled up in is Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And, uh, you know, uh, I understand that for most of us in the room, the reason this misunderstanding occurs is was really not your own doing, but somebody who taught it to you that way, and that's what created the problem. And so you heard it, and you heard other people quote it, you heard people use it and say it, and you just applied it and thought, okay, well, that's what it must mean, and so that must be true, and then you start moving forward and realize that it's going to cause some uh, major problems if it's not sorted out. So basically what we believe is that a child raised correctly will eventually come back. That's what we, we believe, that if you raise a child correctly, they're going to come back to the Lord eventually. Now remember what we said in week one when we started this conversation, that the thing about a that separates a spiritual urban legend from an urban legend is that these are dangerous errors that will eventually bring heartache and disillusionment. I mean, they're not just harmless little, you know, uh, quips because there's, there's tons of, of uh, worldly proverbs that are very helpful and aren't harmful to believe. But if you believe these they're going to harm you. They're going to cause great harm. And so how is this proverb going to cause great harm? Well, that depends on what your experience is. So if you're, if you're just beginning to raise children or if you haven't embarked on that journey yet, well, then, you know, you haven't stepped off into the danger zone. But if you've already raised kids or you've already been or you find yourself in the throes of this, well, then you already have realized the calamity that comes with this uh, falsehood. Because what happens is you subconsciously begin to believe that if your children turn out good, it's because you did a good job, which is absurd. That's absurd. Nothing in the Bible would, would support that position. But that's not where most of the pain comes in. Most of the pain comes from the other side. So if your children turn out bad, it's because you did a bad job. And so what happens is you have all these people walking around in this unwarranted guilt because their children haven't turned out the way that they uh, had hoped. And the thing about it is, is that um, every young Christian couple, when they're starting out raising their kids thinks that their, you know, their intention is to do a great job and their intention is for their kids to turn out great. And it should be that way. And of course, that's your intention. But do you understand what it's going to, you know, do you understand how to navigate that process? You know, maybe some of the things I said last Sunday might be helpful. For you, But there's so many practical things that uh, going in, I would have never known. Uh, I would have never, uh, nobody, I never heard anybody talk about it. I never heard anybody, you know, say these things. I, I heard a lot of people quote Proverbs 22, 6, and it didn't take me long to figure out, well, this clearly can't be correct. It's clearly not correct. And I figured that out two ways. Number one, looking around me. And number two, reading the Bible. It's clearly, it's clearly wrong. There's no possible way that that's the way this works. So let's just uh, take a closer look. I don't want to bore you, but uh, in order for us to do this, we need to kind of tear into it a little bit. So let's, let me just talk to you about some of the words 
uh, in the Hebrew that make up this phrase. And again, it's not a it's not a knock on the translators. They're doing the best they can. But you have to understand, you're taking a uh, you're taking a picture. Imagine, imagine the uh, the Old Testament in Hebrew. Okay, imagine it as a picture that's been been colored by an artist that has one of those big uh, 64 packs of crayons. And so they've colored all the, all the lines in with all these beautiful colors, right? And then somebody hands you the same black and white coloring page and says, I want you to mimic this. And they gave you the little starter set of 12 colors. You, all you can do is the best you can do, right? That's, all, that, that's how you need to understand translating into English. Because what's happening is you're, you're having to use words that we simply don't have. And so, you know, they're doing the best they can. So, to train, the word train is in the Bible three other times. So, four times total. Here in Proverbs 22 and then three other times. Deuteronomy 25, 1 Kings 8, 63, 2 Chronicles 7, 5. Every other time the word is used, it's translated to dedicate. To dedicate. It's the, that word, to train a child, is used to dedicate a temple, to dedicate a house. So that gives you an idea right off the bat. So if you just were in your concordance or just did a quick search on your computer, you'd figure out, hey, there's some, you know, this word, why is it always dedicate? So clearly, it's not what we're thinking when we think train. Train is a fine word to use for that, but it, not in what in our modern vernacular what we think. Um, it's clearly to dedicate. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about it. Just the, just the understanding of dedicating something to the Lord is the focus of that is an intentional, sustained sort of God-dependent. If, if you're going to dedicate your children to the Lord, which is something we do, we did recently, remember that? Okay, well, what is that? What, what we're talking about is, is that you're, you're, you're in a God-dependent posture to shepherd your children's heart towards the Lord. That's what you're going to do. You're going to shepherd their hearts to grow towards the Lord as they grow into adulthood. Well, that would be an understanding of, of to dedicate. So, and here's the thing. Uh, the, as the process goes, so maybe you're dedicating a small child. Well, in that moment, the small child doesn't understand what's going on. But a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian met with all the parents that went through child dedication and, you know, there was all varying ages of children that were dedicated. And in that follow-up meeting, there was a conversation. And some of the parents of older children were talking about how their kids were uh, reacting to and sort of uh, growing in this idea that they had been dedicated to the Lord. In other words, the point is that the child is not ignorant of what's happening. As the child grows, the child understands that the parent has dedicated themselves to shepherding them in this direction and that they're part of the process, right? Okay, so it's not just a one-way street. And in the way they should go, well, that means according to the dictates of his way. So, and it really, that's really the, the best word I could use is see a, a dictate is it's a it's a guiding principle or a governing principle so the the way to understand this is dedicate a youth according to the dictates of his way so what the what the verse is saying if you really just take it apart in the hebrew you're 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 
dedicating a child according to the way God made them. Which this verse sort of underscores what I'm constantly, every time we're talking about any parenting issue, and I'm constantly railing on certain things like, you know, get fairness out of your house. Rid your house of fairness. It's evil. It's evil and it will hurt your children. Get it out of your house. Number two that goes right along with this. Do not ever under any circumstances raise your children as if they're the same. That's what this verse says. That's what it means according to the dictates of their way. Raise your children according to who they are. God made your children not the same. I don't have to know your children to know. They're not the same. There's people in the room with twins. They're not the same. It drives me insane because it's unbiblical and it harms your kids and it harms you. Do not do that. And then, so if you, so it's dedicate your, your child according to the dictates of his way. And then the second half, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, how is that guaranteeing a return to the Lord after a season of rebellion? That is such a stretch. I mean, look, you can't read that and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's not even what that says. But somehow we all just were like, yeah. Train them up and they'll be back. What? Where, where do we get this? The, and, and here's how we, here's how we get this. Here, well, let me advance a slide for you. So it's dedicated youth according to the dictate of his way. And if, if, you're, if that word, the dictates, if that throws you, then just put guiding or governing principle. It just means the unique way that God made them. There's guiding principles. See, if you're trying to raise your kids against the grain of how God created them, now I'm not talking about all your secular mumbo-jumbo about, I'm not talking about what your kids think and what your kids like. and what I'm talking about the way God made them. Your job as a parent is to figure out how God put them together. What makes them tick? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what, what they want you to think or what you want to think or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I could care less about uh, the, most of the things that most people get wrapped up in. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what makes them individual. What is it that makes them tick? You know, the things that, what, how do they react? You, you watch your kids in the same situation and watch how one reacts different than the other. And, and they're, they have different temperaments. They have, they have different, everything about them is different. And there'll be some things that are the same. There'll be some, you know, hilarious things that will remind you that, yes, you do have the same two parents. Of course. But they're not the same people. And so in order to get here, in order to come to this conclusion that, well, this is somehow guaranteeing a return after some, you know, rebellion, here's how this starts with this secular belief that's, that's bred into our culture that children are born as a blank slate and they're able to be shaped and molded in any direction as long as you use the proper rewards and stimuli which really I didn't even have to put the last part of that on there because the truth of the matter is, is that there are many people, maybe some of you, you literally parent and believe subconsciously or consciously that your child is born as a blank slate and that how you raise them is going to... Oh. I'm not frustrated with you. I'm just frustrated with you. This frustrates me big time. Because of all the things you have to ignore to get here. Like it's so obvious. 
Whatever your worldview is, right, about, about raising your kids, here's the thing. Because everybody has this worldview about parenting and about their, their children and about, you know, and so, and this worldview shapes how you make all your decisions. Because many decisions that you make regarding your children are in the gray areas, the wisdom areas. There's no command that says, thou shalt send your kid to public school, private school, homeschool. That's an individual decision, right? And people, some of you feel super passionate about whatever decision in that uh, arena you've made. Fine. That's your decision. You get to make that decision. There's no verse in the Bible that says you should do this or that. Don't send me an email because it just go bad for you. Don't do that. It's a, it's a, you, you have the total freedom to make that decision. But how do you make that decision? You have a worldview. That's how you make all your decisions about your family and your children. And so, but, but if your worldview can't explain to your children, it can't answer the basic question for your, your children needs to be, be able to answer the question through that worldview. Well, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why does that matter? See, they should be able to answer, not, not regurgitate what you've said. Now, this, you, you, you are here because of this, or, you know, I've talked to your kids. I know, what, I know the difference between your kids talking to me and them just repeating what they've heard you say a hundred times, and they don't know what that means. Oh, because Jesus made me, but, you know, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, has your worldview, the way that you view the world, has it put inside of them, given them confidence about how to answer these questions? So, I'm going to help you tonight with some worldview-shaping Simple truths, but here's the thing. See, to get to trouble up here, it starts with a foundational problem. You weren't like tracking in the right direction, and then you got up here, you know, five degrees up, and then suddenly, you know, went off. The, that's not what happened. You got off track because the Bible won't let you get off track. If, you're, if you've laid a solid foundation, whatever you build on that solid foundation is going to be solid. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? So if things are rocking, it's not the building. It's the foundation. And the problem is everyone's running around worrying about the building and trying to brace up all these things. On the, then the problem's in the foundation. So here's two just ultra-important foundational realities that the Bible will, will just screams that you can't ignore. The first one is, every child is uniquely and intentionally made in the image of God. Uniquely and intentionally. So we're all made in the image of God. But look at the diversity. So we're made in the image of God, but that's not the same. We're intentionally and uniquely. And that, that goes for me, and that goes for you, and that definitely goes for our children. So the Bible wants us to know, for example, Psalm 139, God says, For I formed your inward parts. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. The psalmist says, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. See, if it wasn't for last week, y'all might go off the track on that. But we, we saw that last week, as yet there were none of them. So is that, is verse 16 saying God has this exact blueprint, or is it a game plan? Yeah, see? So God has uniquely and intentionally made every single one of us in the image of Him, right? 
So the, what we represent, like we're sitting in this room tonight together, and so what we represent together collectively is the vastness of the character and nature of God. Not only do we represent God's incredible, unlimited creativity, but beyond that, if we're all in the image of God, then what does that say about God? That God's a whole lot bigger than me or you. Or, or me and my wife, or me and my wife and our kid, or our kids, or and on and on it goes. No, look, I mean, think about the, what it says about God. And so that's true. And then secondly, on top of that, because just that in of itself, what you have to do is these two things together, that image has been marred by sin. Now, I, don't, I understand nobody in here is going, wow, I didn't know that. But I guarantee you there are places in your life that would, that would indicate you didn't know this. I see people all the time doing things and saying things as if this isn't true. So again, information is not wisdom. It's just information. This has to settle in to a foundational place in your life to become wisdom. So the Bible says right off the bat in Genesis 8, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's evil. Psalm 58, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. And see, here's the thing. Like we, we, we get... Uh, in this sentimental uh, stupor, maybe is a good way to say it, where, yay, look at beautiful Silas, and he's here for the first time, and we get to meet him, and it's awesome, and it's great. And, but at the same time, like, he's a depraved sinner. Like, his heart is deceitfully wicked. And that just feels weird. But here's what, what happens. We got to make sure that we don't start, we don't start, we don't get all enamored with the, the, the wonder and the splendor and the beauty. And really what we're enamored with is all of our imagination. It's what we're enamored with most of the time. And, and, and here's the thing. At the same time, we have this bundle of joy that the Bible says is a bundle of depravity. It's what it is. It's what the Bible says. And if you don't get that in your head, it's going to cause you big problems. It's going to cause you big problems. Because you're going to come, you're going to set expectations based on a, a, a raggedy, unlevel, not uh, a compromised foundation and it's going to be problematic in the future. You're going to have problems. Notice, notice this. Train up a child in the way he should go. It's interesting, right, that it's not in the way he would go. Why doesn't it say train up in the child in the way he would go? Because the Bible would say the way he would go is the way you don't want him to go. If you just take your hands off the wheel, you will crash. That's what the Bible's saying. Hands off the wheel, crash. Because every one of us is born way out of alignment. And if you let off the wheel, you're going in the ditch. That's what's going to happen. It's not like you're, you know, got new tires and just got in a line and you can coast for a while and if the road's uneven, you might start going, oh, heck no, you're in the ditch. You are in the ditch if you let off the wheel because that's what the Bible wants you to know. So you, you dedicate a youth. You dedicate yourself. You narrow. See, to dedicate is to, is to narrow. See, all, all these things are possibilities, and I'm going to dedicate. I'm going to narrow down. 
I'm going to narrow down the path. I'm going to narrow down the focus. I'm going to hone in. That's what, I'm, that's what dedicating is. And how am I going to do it? I'm going to do it according to the dictates of each one's creation. See, each one was knit together. Each one was made by God differently and uniquely. And so the dedication, see, if, the, if you can have all the d- discipline and all the zeal in the dedicating in the world, but if you don't take into consideration the uniqueness of each of what you're dedicated to, you're going to blow this thing all out of the water. It's going to go bad. I don't mean for them, I mean for you. See, you thought I was talking about them, didn't you? Because why? Because in your heart you've been you believed this lie. So here's the thing. I could so easily convince you that your child's future is in your hands. That's a complete lie. That is a lie. No one's, no one's, no one's eternity is in your hands. No one. Again, that's, that's, what, that's what the enemy would want you to believe. That's going to get you in a bad position. If you're dedicating, if you're dedicating and narrowing yourself according to the, the dictates of that individual child, and you think that your dedication is going to create in them whatever they're going to be, you have lost your mind. You, you just stepped into an arena. You don't have clearance for that. You don't, your car doesn't open the door. You don't have access into the room of people's future depend on me. Who do you think you are? See who we think we are? We think we're so important. We've, no one's future hangs in no other person's hands. That's God's department. Only God has the swipe card to get in that door. That's God. See, influence, influence is important, isn't it? Yes. But influence is not power. You have influence. You do not have power. Now, if you have teenagers, you're like, I already knew that, bro. Amen. Praise the Lord. You realize you ain't got no power. You don't have power. You have influence. God has power. You have influence. See, if you're walking around with your... This is is how I picture the modern Christian parent. They're walking around the house like dad's got his, you know, his holster on. And he's got his two influence pistols. And he's walking around, you know, Christian dad's going to set the record straight and keep everybody straight around here. And you think you got these two powerful weapons. And the whole time, God's looking at you thinking, fool, they're squirt guns. What are you going to do? And here's what happens. When your child became a teenager, you finally... It finally happened, and you pulled it out, and you went, and water went, and you realized, uh uh-oh, because the whole time, you didn't have powerful weapons. You had had influence, and influence is important, and influence is, and and here's the thing. We have a responsibility to use what God gave us, and so we're going to get to that in a minute. But you don't have power. God has power. So what you want to do is you want to steward your influence to to put your son or daughter in the best position to meet the power of God. See, every child has a unique personality and temperament. Your kid, you know, some children are some children are naturally confident. Some children are naturally timid. Well, why? Because God made them that way. 
because, they're, because God's going to use them according to that. Some, some, some kids are naturally trusting. Some, so I've met some of your kids. It's hilarious. Some of them are just naturally suspicious. It's just natural. They're like, hmm. And then some of them just don't even think about nothing. They just run up, ah, you see? Well, God made them that way. You know, you have extroverted people, you have introverted people. Well, God made them that way. Some are calm, some are aggressive, some are, you know, it, whatever. It, it's, it's, that's according to how God made them. And so we, you want to figure that out. Now, again, so, in so many ways, this truth gets perverted. In so many ways. I'm not going to get on this soapbox. I'm just going to give you this one example, okay? I say every kid is created intentionally and uniquely by God. True. And the modern Christian parent hears, mm-hmm, and see, and see but, and that's the thing. I know. I've noticed that, Brother Tony. That's why, that's why my child, I mean, you can't see the halo that I can see, but it's there. And that's why... You see, I just, when I tell them no, they listen. So, we don't, we don't spank because we don't have to. Which just makes me want to spank you. <laughs> it really does make me want to spank you. Like if somehow, I, and I always quote that verse in my head, when Nehemiah smacked the head off of that one, pulled his hair out and everything, and I go, it is in the Bible. See, the Bible says, this is, this, that is a gross misunderstanding of the truth. This is what the Bible, this is what it means. God intentionally and uniquely created every child, right? The Bible says every child needs the rod. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. That's what the Bible says. So, how does that work? Here's what the Bible says. Every child needs the rod. But every child doesn't need the rod in the same way. You understand? So in my first two children, I'll let you figure it out. One of them barely needed the rod. The other one, we had to keep getting new rods because we kept wearing out the rods. They both got the rod, but they didn't get the rod in the same way because they don't need the rod in the same way. But they need the rod. You understand? They need the rod. Because the one who made them said they need the rod. Not, I don't care what you think. That's what it says. So... Let's make sure that we're tracking with this, right? So if we, if we start thinking correctly about how all this works together, then we, we start realizing some principles, right? Like, for example, this is important. Everyone has equal potential in Christ. Have you ever thought about this? See, most people think that certain people have greater potential in Christ. Because God created them with certain giftedness, and because that giftedness is somehow used in a way that you've experienced or seen or whatever, then you think that that person has greater potential because of the way that God made them, which would be a false misunderstanding of the Bible. That's false. What you have to do is, is build a foundation on what's true. So we all have the same potential not it's equal potential it's not identical potential see the amount of potential is the same but the potential looks different well what is the potential based on the potential for what that depends on the dictates of your particular child right yes like I don't understand how we get this in, in 
every secular arena of life, but somehow spiritually we can't seem to connect the dots. The God in his dictating certain things about your children is leading you in a direction. He's, he's giving you a, you know, he's going, hey, you know, you've noticed this about your child? Like, you know, meanwhile, the dad is, you know, uh, building stuff in the backyard and, you know, uh, creating this, you know, uh, world of idolatry because in their mind they are living vicariously through their little boy who they believe is going to be this uh, um, amazingly gifted athlete. Do the dictates of God show that? Like before we even go any further, do the dictates of God show that? There's no, in other words, we understand that, that in the physical realm, God, we can see certain things and go, you know, so if, so if you meet me and, and uh, you know, and I tell you, hey, well, you know what, this pastoring thing's not working out. I'm going, you know, I'm moving on to something else. I think God's called me to be a racehorse jockey. Well, you get that that's ridiculous, right? Unless they're going to start racing, you know, giant Clydesdales or something, it's really not going to work out very well, is it? No. So I'm just not, because the dictates of how God made me excluded me from racehorse jockeying. Well, if that's true physically, then what's true in other ways, spiritually? So we're all created in certain ways, and so we have, we have equal potential, but it's not identical potential. So now, okay, we're laying a foundation. Now we train up a child in the way he should go, not would go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. All right, so how do we, so as if just understanding all that we've said so far is not 100% conclusive that it doesn't mean what we thought it meant or what we were told that it means how far into the bible do we have to read to figure out clearly that can't be true not very many chapters is it because the proof text is very simple adam and eve in the garden Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first thing that happens is Proverbs 22, 6 clearly does not mean that. Clearly, it doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. It doesn't even make any sense. Because what we have in the garden is a perfect environment with perfect parenting and a disastrous outcome. See, we have Adam and Eve. Think about this. Adam and Eve, no sin. Fellowshipping in perfect fellowship with the perfect father. So, so what are we going to say? That God overlooked something? Made a mistake? Wasn't? So it couldn't have been, it couldn't have had anything to do with their environment. It couldn't have had anything to do with the, their parenting. It couldn't, because everything was perfect. And in an absolutely perfect, unflawed, unmarred, everything perfect scenario, they choose disaster. End of discussion. Like, there's no more. Like in this moment, so many of you should be disconnecting from all this guilt that you've been carrying around for years. All the times that you've said, you know, well, if I would have done this and I would have done this and I would have done this, things would have been better. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, really? So you think God's going, hmm, man, that whole tree thing, man, the fruit of the tree, like, boy, I blew it on that. 
You think God's going, you know what was missing? The rod. That's what it was. The rod. I should have beat Adam. That's what I should have done. I mean, huh? But yet, all these years, you've been carrying this around with you. Some of you maybe are in the throes of raising your kids, and you're paralyzed by fear. And really... What's jacked up about your parenting is that you don't parent. The reason you could be parenting, and great, but you don't because you're so afraid of messing everything up that you're messing everything up because fear is always what? Always a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whatever you fear is going to fulfill itself because that's what fear does, Right? So you're so afraid you're going to mess your kids up that you do what? Mess your kids up. Why does the Bible teach us right off the bat that a perfect environment with perfect parenting leads to a disastrous result so that you can walk into parenting free from all this? Not fearful over, you know, I'm going to do this wrong or I'm going to... Listen, now you should have fear in the Lord entering into parenting, but it shouldn't be based on the outcome of your children. That's misplaced fear. You see, you're afraid of the wrong thing. And here's the thing, you're afraid of something that you don't have a swipe card to get in the room to. So why? Why, why does God right off the bat Make sure that we understand this. Perfect environment, perfect parenting, disastrous outcome. Well, because nurture can never overpower nature. I don't care how long you spend talking to your pets. Which is weird. And you talk to them. And you tell me what they're saying back, and it's just totally awkward. So awkward. And you can do that for a thousand millenniums, and they're never going to become a person. They're never going to talk back. In fact, they're never even going to know what you're saying. They're still going to lick their butt. Because <laughs> that's their nature. It's never going to change. You can't nurture them out of being a dog. You know, it's like the fools with their, with their pet lions, and they're petting them, and, they're act, and then they get eaten because it's nature. Nature is nature. You, you, a war against nature is a, is a futile endeavor. So what is nature? Well, the nature of every human is free will. You can't fight it. There's nothing you can do about it. That's what Genesis is teaching us. That's what the Garden of Eden teaches you. Pastor Matt talked exhaustively about all the ways that God could have created the garden last week, which again was hilarious when he said he could have put the tree on 200-foot stilts. I was cracking up like, stilts, that's the word you chose? Like, that was hilarious. You know, and they're going, well, I'd eat that fruit if I could get up there. But it's true. It's true. God, God didn't violate free will because that's not who God is. God's nature dictates our nature. And our nature is in order to be in the image of God created for the purpose of God, free will has to be in the equation. Now, if there's free will, guess what that means? You ain't in control. Because if you're the one that's going to determine how little, little uh, Junior's going to turn out, well, then that's not free will. And guess what happens when you try to impose your will on little Johnny or little Sally to become who you want them to be? It's going to get blow up in your face ten times worse because you're fighting against nature. You can never overcome free will. How is that not so painfully obvious? I mean, how could we possibly get this confused? So again, how does this information get perverted in people's heads? Here we go. 
If we end it right now, which we, not, we can't do, because there's no way I'm going to let you walk out the door confused about this. You're not getting out of here thinking, okay, now hold on a second. So if all this is true, so God created them intentionally, uniquely, and, but they're marred by sin, and so uh, you can't overcome free will, so the conclusion must be because ding, ding, ding. I mean, I'm a rational, sensible human being. I could figure this out. Parenting doesn't matter. I mean, what I do, if I can't control the future, well, then I ought to just let them figure it out. Well, dear Lord, let's hope that doesn't happen. Here's the problem. See, the, the, the thing is, is that everyone would agrees. Again, everyone goes, no, parenting is important. We all agree on that, but here's the problem. Why? And then when I ask a parent that, I go, do you believe parenting is important? They go, yes. And I go, why? And they get googly-eyed. I go, you've walked around all your life believing something's important and you don't know how to articulate why it is? That is bizarre to me. Why is it important? And chances are, not now, because we fixed some things, but prior to tonight, chances are there's a contingent of people that would say, the reason it's important because it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce something in the end. That's not true. All you got is two little water pistols. When they're little, you can scare them with them because they don't know what they really are. And you just go, and they go, but once you squirt them with water, they ain't afraid of that junk no more. They're going to figure out they're not real. You don't have power. You just got influence. So you better get this straight. Why? So why is it important? Why does parenting matter? If you can't make them into something, why does it matter? Well, let me tell you something. It is 100% important. 100% important. but for the right reason. And this is what you have to get right here, okay? This very next thing I'm going to say. Because parents have great influence and will be held responsible for how they raise their children. By who? By God. But every child is without excuse and will give account for their wrong decisions and foolish behavior. You, so if you could just build this foundation tonight, man, is it going to help you. If you've already raised kids, it's going to set you free from some things. From either the bondage of pride or the, or the terrible bondage of guilt and shame. And if you're raising kids, it's going to answer all your questions. It's going to figure all this out for you. Parenting matters because it matters to God and because you are going to personally give account for what you did with those two water pistols. Who gave you those influence pistols? God gave them to you. And let me tell you something. If you think that you're going to get to the end of your life and there ain't going to be a conversation about how you use those two pistols, you are completely mistaken. Completely mistaken. And what is it going to be based on? It's, is it going to be based on, is God going to say, now look here, let's evaluate how you use those two influence pistols and I want you to see look at how your neighbors use them look at how everybody else used them look at how that's not how that's going to go down God's not going to compare you to other people 
The sta- your standard for how you use the, your influence with your children is not other people. But you know why? First of all, because your kids aren't other people's kids. The standard is how you use influence based on what you know. Is God going to hold you accountable for something you didn't know? No. But after tonight, well, you're, a bunch of y'all just got in a whole deep water. You in the quicksand now. That's what he's going to hold you accountable to. He's going to hold you accountable. All the sermons you heard, not only that, it's not, not what anybody else taught you. You got your own Bible and your own two eyes, and you, you read it or didn't read or whatever the case may be. So it's there. He knows it. So how did you use your influence based on what you knew? See, look, God knows, God knows everything. So those of you, there's so, there's so many people in our church that are in so many unique and difficult and trying situations. And, you know, there's, there's been terrible heartache and divorce and, and, and abuse and all kinds of... And listen, God knows all that. God knows all that. So can you just understand? God understands all of that. You just need to focus on the influence you have that you're going to give account for how you use it. How you're, The decisions your child makes, although they're going to emotionally impact you as if they're your, you did them, you're not answering for them because they have what? Free will. You understand? So imagine the scenario. Like, let's just reverse the logic here. You got, you got perfect environment, perfect parenting, disastrous results, right? Meanwhile, here you sit. Imagine this. Look at you. All sitting in here, facing this way. And who are you looking at right now? Let's just run over the scenario real quick. Dad leaves when I'm eight. Grow up fatherless. Everything's a disaster. There's zero, there's zero discipline. There's zero stability. There's zero morality. There's zero anything. And now I'm your pastor. So clearly... Clearly, God has power to do things that me and you can't even begin to comprehend. So don't act like he doesn't and don't act like you do. See, every time I step over the bounds with my own children, God just whispers in my ear, hey, fool, look in the mirror. And I go, you're right. Yeah, I got you. You're right. He just reminds He goes, hmm. Oh, yeah. Soon as I think I'm making them something, I go, I am so glad that's not true. Because if my environment made me something, we would be in a, I would be in a way different environment right now. So, here's the like the, the, the ultra simple, but just unbelievably powerful principle that you can just, just universally apply this to your life, okay? Only take responsibility for what you're responsible for. It will save you so much heartache. Could you just just write that down on a three-by-five card? Some of you need to just put it on your dashboard. You need to, every time you get in your car, you need to see that. Every time you, you're, you're so filled with anxiety and you're so stressed out all the time and you're so obsessed with with what everyone's doing and what everyone's thinking and what everyone's feeling and it's just and you're so you're just exhausted all the time 
And God just wants to say, why don't you just take responsibility for what you're responsible for? If you took all that energy and just put it into what you're actually responsible for, your life would be infinitely better. The people around you would be, would be infinitely more blessed and encouraged. It would make you such a healthy person. But you're constantly trying to bowl in other people's lanes. Constantly. You can't even focus on, 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 what, on, on hitting the pins that are in front of you because you're obsessed you're constantly looking up and looking to the left and look, you're looking at whatever, you're looking at what your kids are doing, you're looking at what your grandkids are doing, you're looking at what this, you're looking, it's just, it's unbelievable. And you wonder why. So, how do I know all this to be true? Because it's obvious in Scripture. Look. You can, you can go home and read 1 Samuel chapter 3 and 4, and you're going to read the story of, the, of the, the high priest Eli. You know, the one who, you know, Samuel goes, hey, did you hear that? No, you know, and he, because the Lord's talking to Samuel, but, uh, and he keeps going to Eli thinking, but he, God's not talking to Eli. So Eli's a priest, and God used Eli in a mighty way, but, but Eli uh, if you read the, in, in 1 Samuel 3 and 4, what you find out is that judgment fell on Eli and, and his two sons because he had two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were living counter to the way they were supposed to, and they were taking advantage of the temple and doing all these things, and God kept warning them and warning them and warning them. And so then here's what happened. God killed Hophni and Phinehas, and then he killed Eli. And here's what he told Eli. He said... I killed your sons because you restrained them not. And so here's what people think. People go, oh, so they died because he was an unfaithful dad. What Bible are you reading? Does that make any sense to you? In other words, do you think we serve a God... That if I have an affair on my wife, uh, God kills Colton? Huh? Do you? That can't be right. So what's happening here? What's happening here is that, that God's judgment falls on Hophni and Phinehas because of their sin. And God's judgment falls on Eli because of his sin. It's because of his sin. See what Ezekiel 18, 20 says? The soul of whose sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Obviously. So when you read, well, God's judgment fell, and he killed Hophni and Phinehas, and then he looks at the dad and says, you restrained him not. Don't just come to the conclusion that God killed them because of what you did. No. God killed them because of what they did. And then God's like, now I'm going to kill you for what you did. Because that's how it works. And I know some of you are thinking, you're like, hey, well, maybe we should just add another week to this for all the people that are walking around going, well, now the sins of the Father are going to fall the next generation, the generation to come. Now, does that what that means? Does that mean? Is that what that means? That means that what one person does, another one pays for is that your theological understanding here? Because um, play that out to where that's going to lead you. You'll never, if you think that, you'll never sing good, good father. Because you can't. Because no good father does that. You mean one child is disobedient so, God, so the dad beats the other one? That's abusive. But what happens is we just get in our head something and we go, oh. So in other words, see, look, listen, if, if I'm an alcoholic, is there a greater propensity for my children to be alcoholics? A hundred percent. But if my children choose to drink or not drink, they're going to answer for what they choose to do, not for what I did. I mean, keep your theology straight. 
It's so crazy how we get so tangled up. And it just messes everything up. So as a parent, I rejoice in the direction given to me. In His Word, to actively and intentionally dedicate our kids to represent, reflect, and resemble the glory of God in the face of Christ. All I got is influence. That's all I got. Which is why. It will make you, it will make you change your whole approach. That's why, moms and dads, you better make sure. You better make sure. There's one thing you better make sure of. You better not say one thing and do another. Because if you do, you got no influence. You're a hypocrite. Now, that doesn't mean if you do it once, it's over. That means if you do it, you better go to your children and sit down and say, listen, I was wrong, and here's what I did, and I need you to understand, and I've repented to God, and now I'm repenting to you. But if you, if you say one thing and do another and just walk on like nobody noticed that, you got two empty holsters on your side, and you wonder why nobody's listening. Well, that's why they're not listening, because you got no influence. And as soon as, you, as soon as your pretend power goes away, because here's the thing, when they're that big, oh, you can yell and scream and scare everybody and to listen to you and all that. But they don't stay that big. And one day they look down at you and say, I don't think so. You got influence. And what a blessing. You know what? I'm so glad. You know what? I don't want, dear God. I thank God all the time. God, thank you for not giving me power. Thank you. I'm not carrying that weight around. Oh, it's hard enough being a parent. I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not going to start stacking stuff, imaginary stuff on top of me. There's no way. Yet I'm also reminded of how much I and my children fail so I can rejoice in the power of the gospel to redeem all of our faults and the hardness of our hearts. You see, the power that I want to be at work in my children as I'm influencing them, I need that power working on me. See, it's working on me. That's the only way I can influence them towards that power because God in Christ makes those dead in sin alive forgives all who confess and overcomes the old creation with the new what a glorious truth 